from BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast, is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up? This your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. A production of iHeartRadio. Hello, welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Noel. They call me Ben. We're joined, as always, with our super producer, Paul Mission Control Deckard. Most importantly, you are you, you are here, and that makes this the stuff they don't want you to know. Today, we are exploring a harrowing tale of true, unsolved crime with a fair number of disturbing implications. Now, as with any episode of this nature, we want to open with a disclaimer. The following episode contains, at times, graphic depictions of violence, assault, and murder. As such, this may not be appropriate for all listeners. Our tale, so far as we can pinpoint, begins in Texas. Here are the facts. Let's, let's build from specifics. On August 22nd, 1990, Cheryl Henry and Garland Atkinson, who was referred to by his friends as Andy, um, went out for a night on the town. Um, it was a double date with Cheryl's younger sister, Shane, and her fella. Uh, and the group went to a local hangout, which is a sports bar called Bayou Mamas, which is a fabulous name for a sports bar. Yeah, and you know, if you grew up in the United States, you're well aware that every town has a place like this, right? You don't have to be in a big city. There's a local hangout spot, a watering hole. It might be a community center. It might be a sports bar. It might be a Walmart parking lot, which happens often. You just want to hang out uh, and vibe with your community. Or, or a bar, yeah. 
Sure, depending on the size of said community, those choices are going to be pretty limited. Yeah, but like you said, Ben, there's often a bar that's open a little later than the other ones. I know there's one like that near where I am. Copy. All right, let's go hang out there. Uh, Around 11 p.m., again, as you said, Noel, on August 22nd, 1990, these couples part ways. So the double date leaves. Now it's just the couples, and they go off to hang out. Of course, this happens, right? You want to have your romantic time in addition to your social time. By the next morning, no one had heard from Cheryl Henry and Andy Atkinson. Andy's grandmother actually called Andy's father, who's also named Garland, and said, hey, Andy didn't come home. I haven't heard from him. And like most dads, Andy's father thinks... Nothing drastic at this point. He thinks, uh, hey, they're adults. Maybe they just had a wild night together. This is very common. You can you can see uh, Garland the Elder talking about this in a pretty extensive interview in 2019. But things continue. Uh, additionally, Cheryl's father talks to Andy's dad and says, hey, I haven't heard from my daughter. And this is where Andy's dad starts to get concerned. The parents and the family decide to contact police. Again, absolutely, absolutely reasonable. But sometime during August 22nd or 23rd, sometime in the wee hours, person finds an abandoned car at a place called Enclave Round. This is the known makeout spot. This is the lover's lane. It's a, we pulled up the map to look at this. Uh, if you look at where this is located, you see it's right around Enclave Parkway, which is a, a separated road, right? There's a median in between it, and it's pretty near a huge Cisco Corporation building. It's the kind of place like, you know, it's a closed-down office park. It's secluded. But at that time in 1990, there was almost nothing there. Right. There's been a lot of buildup. That's a great point, Matt. Uh, back when this occurred, it was just the Cisco and maybe one other big building. It was referred to as an undeveloped area by the reporting right. at the time. Right, yeah. And when this car is discovered, things look disturbing from the jump. The keys are still in the car. Yeah, and there's a detail that you found, Ben, they're left in the aux position. What does that mean exactly? Is that like when you're sort of like, you could have the radio on, but the engine's not running? Correct. Yeah, and uh, Andy's dad was able to confirm in that 2019 interview that there was a tape in the player. So, So if we're speculating, and we don't want to do too much speculation just yet, if we're speculating then we see that the seats were reclined as well. The keys are in the aux position. We got some music playing. We're in a secluded area. Maybe it's time to make out. This is very Zodiac, is it not? It does feel a little similar. It's a couple in a car. Yeah. If With they, the music. Yeah. 
Well, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm not sure about the music. I just know that it was well, no. a, a couple taking their time, right? With, Sorry, within a I'm car. actually conflating it. The Zodiac part is the Lover's Lane part. The music part is the Son of Sam. The the Son of Sam killer, you know, uh, happened upon somebody in a car, and they were listening to a particular song, like a Creedence Clearwater Revival song or something like that. I remember all of this because of the movie Copycat with, uh, what's his name, Harry Connick Jr. and Sigourney Weaver. Um, they, there's a killer who's reenacting all of these crimes, and he does Son of Sam, and he does Zodiac, and these are the two scenarios that he reenacts. And in this particular one, it's kind of those two combined. Speaking of twos, there were two other details that stood out immediately. What were those? Oh, well, stuff that was left in the car that makes it seem pretty obvious that the couple left the car quickly or were removed from the car and they never made it back. There was, I believe, a handbag in the floorboard and even some shoes. I don't know if those were Cheryl's shoes or not. I think they were, right? They probably were. All we can say with certainty was that they were women's shoes, hmm. right? And the most disturbing detail, perhaps, is that there was blood in the interior of the car. Before we move on from the car, guys, I saw in some of the reporting that it was referred to as a white, I think, Honda Civic, this vehicle. But then Garland... Yes mentions that it was maybe I maybe I conflated something uh the father said in a later interview that you mentioned Ben something about a red Camaro was he had a red Camaro and his son asked to borrow it for the date however the Camaro had some issues oh, okay so he they weren't in the Camaro they were in the the white car they were in the Civic yeah. okay and so police are looking at this abandoned vehicle and they quickly learn the car belongs to this kid, Andy. And at this point, Andy has already been reported as a missing person, as has Cheryl. So law enforcement brings in a canine unit, and the dog is out there sniffing around and leads police to a strange agglomeration a golf club, and three golf balls that appear to point toward a spot in the nearby woods. The dog guides authorities toward the spot, and about 200 yards away from the car, police find the body of Cheryl Henry. She was lying face down under some fence planks, which were, you know, rotted. Uh, I, I, I imagine this was something that had been found and gathered and piled on her in the hopes of uh, obscuring, you know, the body. Um, it looks that like they were pried from some sort of, you know, kind of ramshackled fence that wasn't too far off from uh, where they found her uh, and just kind of, you know, in a bit of a ditch effort just to, you know, hide the body, um, just sort of loosely stacked there. Um, she did have signs uh, of sexual assault that were visible, um, and her clothes had been cut off of her and placed, well, not placed, really, kind of just chucked uh, nearby. And um, she had her hands bound behind her back um, and had been brutally uh, murdered. Um, some sort of, you know, bladed weapon had been used to cut her throat. Yeah, I think I read that there were three uh, slashes along her throat. Uh, it's very puzzling to me that there appeared to be some kind of trail 
pointing towards where her body was found and she had like effort had been taken to conceal her body. It's very strange to me that those two things are coinciding here. Yeah. At which point we have to wonder whether there was, whether the use of that old fence, those fence blanks, uh, were they meant to cover the body or was it more disrespect, right? Because we will see there are possible signifiers, let's call them psychologically. Uh, of important note, there were two other anomalous objects nearby. Uh, you will see that there was a, uh, a bunch of deflated balloons. You know how you would fill up uh, like helium balloons for a birthday party or something, and they deflate over time. There were some draped over a tree that are not thought to be associated with this uh with this murder but there was also a second strange object a 20 dollar bill tossed on the ground near the body cheryl henry was 22 years old at the time of her demise and we do uh we do ask that you take the time to check out the interview that andy's father held 2019, he describes how one law enforcement official, the one who discovered Cheryl's body, volunteered to keep watch overnight. And sometime during the wee hours or the next morning, this person found the body of Andy as well. Andy was murdered. Uh, Andy was murdered in a similar way. His throat slashed. Uh, but he was fully clothed, is about 50 to 100 yards away from where they found Cheryl Henry's body. And he was either seated with his hands tied behind him against a tree, or he was tied to the tree. But his hands were bound, and his throat was slashed so violently that his head was almost entirely removed from his body. Jesus. Like down to the bone. Yeah. I heard that he was tied to the tree. Right. Yeah. Saw that as well. Still the Houston unclear. Chronicle stated that a couple of times. Okay. Yeah. Which is uh, Houston Chronicle is probably the best source for contemporaneous reporting of this incident. He didn't get robbed, though. He was murdered brutally, but he still had a watch. Uh, he still had money on his person. It seems that robbery was not the motive. This young man was murdered when he was only 21 years old. And police are immediately on the case. They identify several suspects. They're looking at the web of social interaction and relationships. But we have to keep in mind, this is in the days of recoverable DNA. So they conducted DNA tests using evidence recovered from the remains of Cheryl Henry and they asked their initial suspects for DNA samples and each and every one came back proving the innocence of those initial suspects. Fast forward 2002. That's right. That's when the Houston PD DNA lab was actually closed due to some 
malfeasance of some kind or another. Well, maybe, okay. It There were some issues with the way that it had been run. Um, the chain of custody, you know, there's all kinds of issues with that when it comes to samples. Uh, it can throw an entire case into disarray. So hundreds of DNA samples, because of the way they were handled, had to be retested. Uh, Houston PD have said they're confident in the lab work done on this case, but the DNA evidence was uh, independently retested in 2004. And in this independent testing, something popped. They, they, they found a match. Yeah, uh, there was a DNA sample that was taken from Cheryl at this initial crime scene that we're talking about that matched a DNA sample from an attack and rape of another woman that occurred on June 20th, 1990. And uh, this this person, this, the second victim that we're talking about here, it, she's an unnamed person. She was a victim and... Um, well, I guess we can go into the full detail, but it, it, it for now in this moment in the story, there was a match, right? So there's a this same person has attacked and raped at least two women that the police are aware of at this point, and uh, this person survives. But you, you, one would think before we go any further that with such a damning connection law enforcement would be able to solve this tragic murder. DNA is collected in so many ways now. You go to the incarceration system, your DNA is collected. You enroll in military service, your DNA is collected. A family member signs up for something like Ancestry or 23andMe, that DNA is collected. But this murder remains unsolved. Tragically, this hasn't led to any results as we record today. We're going to take a moment for a word from our sponsors, and then we'll dive in to the problems, the implications, and the tragedy of the Lover's Lane murders. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, temp to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment... Oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Dr. 
When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI. And Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI and revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. So tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Here's where it gets crazy. As we said, this double homicide remains unsolved today. This sexual assault a few months before also remains unsolved. All we know for certain is that the DNA associated with that assault matches the DNA associated with this double homicide. And maybe we start by looking at the similarities here, right? This is of note. The unnamed, still living victim of that earlier assault in June that you mentioned, Matt, this victim was able to provide a composite sketch of her attacker. Before we get into her story, let's talk a little bit about what a composite sketch is. How, how would you describe this? Composite sketches, you've got a witness, an eyewitness, who describes in as best detail as they can the way a person looks, all the physical features of a person, and then an artist makes a rendering of that, right? Um, at, the, at the time in 1990, you can see in this composite sketch that it appears to have been done with pencil and paper, right? Uh, created a sketch of a person, which then gets released to the public and says, hey, have you seen this person? Right. And these are notoriously unreliable. That's something we need to set out. A lot of innocent people have gone to prison based on the interpretive actions of law enforcement, right? We're looking for unnamed black male age uh, 15 to 55. Well, yeah. I mean, think about the, we're just, we're bringing up the Zodiac sketch. There were numerous suspects who were drawn with one of these composite sketches and nobody was ever caught. Um, You know, it's a, it's a, theoretically it's a good idea and they have been used in the past to find the person. Right. But it's always matching up that the likeness within that composite sketch with other circumstantial or hard evidence that, you know, can prove it in a court of law. It's never the sketch itself. Well, and if it's, if it's a sketch of someone that might be in like you, like you were saying, Matt, in a group that's already kind of profiled or rife for profiling, then it could just cause a whole Pandora's box of problems. Right. And to get a sense of the problem we're describing, all you have to do is check out cases where a composite sketch was released and then the person who committed the crime was found. And you can look at the sketch and you can look at the picture of the actual person and you can say, kind of, I guess, you know, two eyes, a nose. Okay. They're in the ballpark. But in the ballpark does not equal justice. 
We're going to have to get into the story of this unnamed victim of this assault that occurred just a few months prior to the double murders. And again, this may not be appropriate for all listeners. So let's go back June 20th, 1990. Okay, so we're talking uh, June 20th of 1990. Um, the victim left uh, Gigi's, their place of employment, uh, at around 2 a.m. and went to her boyfriend's house and found him to, to not be at home. So she hung out in the living room, ate some takeout food that was there. I don't think you can get takeout at 2 a.m. usually, so I'm assuming that it was something that was already in the fridge. Um, and then she went upstairs and went to bed. And as she approached the bedroom, uh, somebody emerged from the darkness with a stocking over their face. And we're just going to, you know, call it a male here, I I, I guess, Um, with gloves on uh, and a dark shirt and pants. Um, It's often been described and much kind of hay has been made of, of it being some sort of uniform, right? That's what you were saying off mic, Matt. Yes. Uh, at least according to the descriptions of the victim, it wa- it appeared to be a uniform of some sort. And this was someone that would have seemingly been familiar with, with, with her and, and her boyfriend because he called her boyfriend out by name. Yes, and, and he said something to the effect of, your boyfriend owes me money, that's why I'm here, basically, with this gun. And he had this firearm. He identified, at least appeared to identify himself as someone who knew uh, the victim's partner and then deployed duct tape to bind the victim's hands at the wrist and uh, put duct tape over her eyes and over her mouth and then put what seems to be a pillowcase over her head in addition to the duct tape then assaulted her during the assault. This is per the victim. uh, The assailant appeared to taunt her and said she was not very observant and pointed out that he was, or seemed to imply that he was wearing a military uniform. Later law enforcement will speculate. This was an attempt to uh, execute a red herring, right? that this was not actually a member of the military, but was wearing something militaristic like a security guard uniform. And you'll find, this is interesting, you'll find people arguing this victim had things in common with Cheryl Henry. According to some sources we found, Cheryl also worked at a a dance club called Rick's Cabaret. And Andy himself, at least occasionally worked the front door of another similar club in which his father was a manager. This led police to think the suspect either worked in a strip club or was a regular customer. Crucial note here, Cheryl's brother came on to a couple of different online forums and straightened out some facts about this narrative. Per her brother, Quote, Cheryl worked as an eye doctor that summer while home from school. She met Andy at a place called Yucatan Liquor. Uh, it's a liquor stand. Uh, and she met Andy through her girlfriend who was dating a guy 
that worked with Andy. So per her family, as far as we know, she was working at an optometrist, ophthalmologist, but not at this topless bar, uh, Rick's Cabaret. That summer, though. But she had worked previously at a gentleman's club. Uh, that I, I don't I never saw within the thing that she, that, that it was refuted that she ever worked there. Right. I think it was just like at the time at she the time. is working uh, and we should mention Gigi's that the unnamed victim where she was working until 2 a.m. in the morning is a gentleman's club or a topless bar of some sort. Mm-hmm. Now, there's only one thing we can say with certitude at this point. The DNA in both cases matches. The same criminal that assaulted this unnamed victim in June of 1990 also assaulted Cheryl Henry in August of the same year, just a few months after. And it gets worse. We, we, we're jumping around a bit in time, right? Uh, let's jump to 2001 when police receive an anonymous note that is directly addressed to Houston PD and says, quote, if you want to know who killed C. Henry and A. Atkinson, it will cost $100,000. Pretty reasonable. <laughs> All things considered. Yeah. Well, yeah. well, but it's really weird, right? It, the way it was just no, sent to the, the Houston Police Department. And it also said in there, if you want to reply to this, if you actually want to know, then you have to reply within this classified column or the personal column of the Houston Chronicle. And what did they also say, Ben? Something about, oh, by the way, I'm hiring a lawyer just to make sure you don't try any funny business. Right. Cool. Let's keep this part on the up and up. They said play it straight, I think, is the phrase they used. Yes. Yeah. So there's, there's an interesting thing here in terms of operations, right? The idea of giving police instructions about response. Reply to me in the classified section of this publicly available newspaper on this specific date. And the police complied. They received no response. Uh, This led the law enforcement of the area to believe that the author was someone who may have had information of some sort or believe they had info of some sort on the actual murderer, but they began to conclude the author of this anonymous note was not the killer itself. Yeah. I mean, that would make sense, right? You're not going to try and get paid a hundred thousand dollars to admit that you killed somebody. Maybe. I don't know. I, I don't know either. I mean, the, their price, the thing they're trying to ransom or sell off is the identity of the criminal, right? Well, yeah, but it sounds like somebody that overheard something at a bar maybe or a gentleman's club, right? And is just trying to make some money off of that information. Mm-hmm. Not a paragon of ethics, of course. Uh, if you have information like that, then you should do your best to see justice done and you shouldn't charge for it. As time wound on, investigators, amateur and professional alike, began to think this unknown murderer may have had other victims, which leads us to the natural question, was this a serial criminal? We only know of three proven victims, but we do see an escalation on the part of this perpetrator. 
escalation is is one way of putting it for sure. We typically we see um, serial killers, you know, sort of tracked based on the way they carry out their crimes. Uh, typically, they have, you know, what's referred to as an Emma or a modus operandi in the way in which they operate. Uh, similar weapons, similar types of victims, uh, abducting people in similar locations, perhaps, you know, p- patterns, things that, that profilers, you know, look for when, when you see them, you know, in, in, in films uh, and, and in real life. Um, so the question becomes, uh, why? a differing modus operandi. And oftentimes, you know, if you'll see this come up, it it tends to be something that causes the brass to be like, oh, no, we don't have a serial killer. Look, the MOs are too different. Because, you know, admitting that you have a serial killer is like opening up a problem for law enforcement because then it's high profile. There are a lot of eyeballs on it. It, it, it kind of gets a lot of hearts and minds sort of, you know, invested in the case. And that's not what police want. <laughs> They want to get the job done uh, without the pressure of you got to solve this. This is a serial killer. Um, so in the first attack, the perpetrator used duct tape and a gun. Um, there was also the disconnection of the victim's phone uh, and during, you know, the age, of course, of landlines. Where you could yeah. cut it into like a junction box or whatever. We haven't mentioned that part yet. She later found out that the uh, assailant had uh, unplugged the phone. So like physically unplugged the line from the receiver and then put the receiver underneath the bed. Okay, so that's pretty low, pretty low tech, right? And that's something that you know we, you, anyone could have done. You had that, you know, the little whatever. It's like a not a Cat Five, but the type of cable with the little tab. You pull it out. You know, if you get rid of the handset, you can't use the phone. I'm typically thinking when someone's cutting the phone lines of them doing it like outside, you know, before entering the home. But this is like way more low tech than that. So um, we also have that familiarity, right, with the victims. Um, we we know that the killer uh, said the, the victim's boyfriend's name. Um, so there is some sense here of premeditation. Um, and he, you know, had information. He had specific information as to, you know, the 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 location of the boyfriend, or not maybe not the location, but the absence of the boyfriend at the very least. In the second attack, however, the murderer used rope restraints, not duct tape, and a knife. So we have to wonder whether or not he followed the couple and kind of, you know, hung out and waited for his chance to strike. Yeah. Um, we also have to wonder if the killer knew the second victim, Cheryl, in some way and had been following her for some time. We, we don't, we have no idea if that's the case or not. And also have to wonder whether, uh, the, whether the assailant knew Andy Atkinson, especially given the violent means of, um, of murder there, because one slash to a throat with a bladed object is enough to kill someone if it's deep to continue doing that after the person is clearly going to die uh, to the point of decapitation. It brings into question psychological emotive motivations. And this is a profoundly important question. Was this a crime of opportunity? Did someone just, happened to drive by and follow a car, the couple probably would have been aware if someone was tagging behind them, right? Unless they were being quite stealthy about it. 
or was someone lying in wait? It, it, it's a mission critical question, as everyone listening tonight knows. The United States is home to an egregious number of unsolved sexual assaults. Uh, in 2017, or as of 2017, someone in this country is sexually assaulted about every 98 seconds, a little more than a minute and a half. And this means that every single passing day, more than 570 people experience sexual violence in this country, only about 310 of every 1,000 assault cases are even reported to police. This is horrific. And this also builds toward the case that this individual well may have committed other crimes, right? Up to and including assault and murder. I mean, we can articulate a few important points. One, the killer does seem familiar with the club slash dance scene of Houston in 1990, in the 90s. The first attack again, late June 1990. The double murders, the double homicide occurring in August, the same year, just a few months later. And this is where, this is where we have to start asking some timeline questions, right? At this point in 1990, one must have been at least 18 years old to either work at or become a customer at clubs like this. It wasn't, in fact, until 2021, just a few years back, that Texas put in a new law requiring both patrons and employees of dance clubs to be at least 21 years old. So if we do some math, we can assume at the bare minimum, the person responsible for these crimes would have been 18 years old in 1990, likely older. I think likely older. What do you guys think? I, I agree with Matt. We talked off mic and or I think both of you, but they're, they're, you know, more like, uh, so, so it would take someone with some strength and some confidence to pull off these kinds of crimes. So more like maybe mid thirties. Well, I don't know. I'm, I'm getting into the psychological analysis. Um, uh, the concept of these bars, these gentlemen's clubs where sex is on display, right? The concepts of, of sex are there, but taking the action of having sex or feeling connection with somebody is not there. So in my mind, it's somebody who knows both of these women from that scene, like you said, but never got to really experience being with them in that kind of connection, it was transactional, right? That's what makes me think about the $20 bill that was left at Cheryl's scene. That's what makes me think about this guy had probably had a conversation with, in my mind, look, this is just me speculating, but in my mind, this person, whoever the suspect is, had had a conversation with the first victim, or yeah, the June 20th victim, and talked about things like family maybe, Um Often in those situations when you're working at a place like that, you don't divulge a lot of personal information, but there was, I think it was that victim who had given an interview at one point with the Houston Chronicle mentions that sometimes she would divulge more information than she would, uh, than she thought she was when she was just having a conversation that felt relaxed and natural while working. Especially with a regular, perhaps. Exactly. 
Right. Uh, so in my and, head, I'm yeah. thinking of an older regular that's there a lot that has a familiarity, like maybe even a friendly familiarity with somebody. Um, and that would, to me, that's why the person was wearing something on his face during that first June attack. And this, this brings up, okay, so this is an important thing. I'm glad you point out the $20 bill, which seems quite purposeful, along with the golf club and the golf balls. Yes. And if this person was 18, again, the bare minimum age to enter clubs like this in 1990, then they would be at least 51 years old in 2023, which is still a young enough age to be active. Now, again, it sounds like the three of us folks are fairly certain, just knowing the math I did, that's that's the bare minimum, 51, they would be now. But based on what we're thinking here, probably older. How much older? We don't know. We simply do not know. Uh, as far as we can tell, the criminal's DNA has not been entered into a database capable of identifying them. That means, again, like we said earlier, no armed services DNA collection, no law enforcement DNA collection, no incarceration requiring DNA samples, no 23andMe, Ancestry.com, familial link like what caught the original Night Stalker. None of that. Well, it, it, at least there's we're not aware of any um, profiling of that sort, right? The 23andMe style profiling. I, we're not aware that any of that has been carried out as of this moment. As we record. That's correct. Yeah. And at this point, let's pause for a word from our sponsor. And then when we return, we'll interrogate some of the most important questions here. First off, where to go next? Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position, warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, snag a job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare.
When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI. And Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI and revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. So tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. Okay, guys, I have a couple of questions for you. Uh, my first one is, do you guys think it's weird that the canine unit found Cheryl's body, right? We remember this, they, they used the, the golf clue, went into the woods, and the canine unit helped the police officers discover Cheryl. Uh, but it didn't discover the body of Andy that was only like 50 yards away from there. Doesn't it seem to y'all that maybe a canine unit trained to look for stuff like that would have also found his body that close? Yes. Yes. It certainly does seem that way. Um, what, what are you getting at? What do you think uh, could have been the issue? Well, no, I don't know. It, it just feels very strange to me. Well, as we were talking through, you know, the events of that day in the case and when the bodies were discovered and the fact that there was one police officer who passionately said, Hey, no, I'll stay. I'll watch this scene tonight. You remember when we talked about that? Yes. Also the same one who found the body later. Yeah. Same officer that ends up finding the body only 50 yards away after the canine unit had gone through the day previous. That to me, it strikes me as strange. Agreed. Okay. Uh, well then uh, what about that dark blue outfit that was worn by the June 1990 attacker. Are we are we talking like a like a mechanics outfit like a like a like a onesie? That's what I want to bring up because there aren't a ton of specifics, right? And it's it's there's a lot that's been made of that on these you know subreddits and online forums that are talking about this case, where it almost always at least it looks like it almost always goes back to a security officer and potential bouncer or somebody who's working at one of these nightclubs. Uh, I was just wondering if if it was possible it was like a maintenance person, uh, somebody who worked on cars. Uh, you know, there are, there are a lot of folks out there who wear like a dark blue jumper style outfit. Uh, or there are a lot of jobs that require something like that. Or it would be good if you wore something like that to the job. These are just some things that I was thinking about. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense too because – other than the idea of a uniform and other than a specific hue or color or shade, there's not something to go on. You know what I mean? There's not a clear logo. There's not clear insignia that's brought up. And we, this is where we see speculation, right? Thriving. Uh, we have looked at a ton of people weighing in 
on various, as you mentioned, Matt, true crime forums, uh, subreddits. Uh, these folks may not be professional investigators by trade, but they do, thankfully, share a common goodness, a search to see justice done. And this is why you can run into stuff that I think speaks to what you're talking about, Matt. Uh, you can find photos of the the bar that Andy and Cheryl were at, Bayou Mamas, Bayou Mamas. Uh, and in that, like there's one website you can go to and it's got a bunch, the place is closed now, by the way, but it's got a bunch of, uh, a bunch of candid photos like you see in any neighborhood bar. And it seems that there's law enforcement or security of some sort visible in the background as some of these shots. This goes back to the composite sketch we mentioned earlier. You know, if you um, if you look at our research, you can see the website is called rockinhouston.com, and you can pull up a specific image where there is a guy on the right of the uh, photograph who is clearly wearing some sort of uniform. You guys saw that one? Yeah, it's like a light blue uniform. It almost, it looks like a, police officer right and then if we compare that to the composite sketch from the unnamed victim in june you know just pulling these up as a matter of fact let's do this let's let's share this together all right so here we have we're looking at this together here we have this person on the right as you said matt looks definitely to be the law they off to be a cop or something yeah yeah still wearing the uniform and now Let's remember that face. Let's switch to the composite sketch. And it's interesting, again, because a composite sketch is not, I mean, it's better than nothing, but it depends upon some problems with eyewitness recollection. Do those folks look similar enough? We have to be careful about this because we can't, Based on two images on the internet, we can't all of a sudden accuse people. Yeah, not to my eyes. I mean, there's no, there's no match to me visually, right? Uh, but the concept of and maybe an off-duty police officer that's running security at Bayou Mamas, where Cheryl and Andy were the night that they got killed. Um, and then also thinking about other potential security folks that that they all worked with because all all of the victims in this case had some interactions with security bouncers, whatever would be at nightclubs too, not just Bayou Mamas, which was like a, a bar kind of neighborhood bar place. Um, I don't know, man. It's all very weird to me that feels like there's a close connection to some kind of security but i'm also i'm worried that that's a red herring because of what the assaulter said on the june 20th attack like oh you didn't even notice that i'm and you know what did he say police officer or, or military military yeah yeah i don't know man implication it does seem you know we've got three instances of what appear to be taunting right the uh the idea of the golf clubs and the uh, the golf club and the golf balls, and then the uh, the anonymous letter, and then the statements during the first crime. I will be absolutely honest. In cases like this, uh, 
the MO differences imply escalation, right? They imply the same person. We know it was the same person in at least two incidents. They imply the same person building, right? Starting with sexual assault, building toward murder, and perhaps committing more. It's, it's, I don't want to say it's impossible, but it would be uh, quite extraordinary and anomalous for someone like this to commit only those two incidents. Yeah. Two attacks, two months cooling off period. Mm, This person either got picked up or got a lot better about hiding their crimes, right? Or maybe hiding their victims, which could be potentially what happened. And you can find no shortage of uh, cases that are tentatively speculated to be connected. At this point, the crimes remain unsolved. And again, as is with uh, as is with the original Night Stalker, the Golden State Killer, we are hoping familial DNA links may shed light on the gruesome events. Now, as we know, in many parts of the United States, DNA evidence from sexual assaults, the rape kits, there's a tremendous backlog, which means that right now it's quite possible that a kit may be analyzed and bring a DNA match or multiple DNA matches to this assailant. At present, we don't know where this person is. As you pointed out, Matt, it is quite possible that they were apprehended for another crime of any sort, uh, at which case their DNA probably would have been processed, right? I imagine. Yeah, that's that's puzzling, right? If they were a member of the military, as you said, Ben, they probably would have been seen. If if they were, if law enforcement was even testing that sample against military samples, right? A database. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if they did that. Uh, also, do they test it against police databases, right? Could it potentially be an officer? And if it is, would the Houston Police Department allow that to come out? One would hope, yes, they would, and they would seek justice, but it all depends on who's running the show and at what level. At present, as we're recording, the case remains unsolved. And in terms of implications, what this means is that we have, I think, made a solid argument that this perpetrator would have or has committed other similar incidents, sexual assault up to and possibly including homicide, right? And as you are listening today, it's important to realize that this is not a unique example. Think back on the statistics we found uh, that show us just how many how many incidents are not reported to law enforcement for one reason or another, right? Uh, and this is where we pass the torch to you. We want to hear your thoughts, folks. We want to hear what you think may or may not be a break in this case. We want to hear what your thoughts are regarding possible suspects. Because again, in the initial investigation into this homicide, all of the suspects Houston PD found were cleared based on DNA evidence. You're right. 
And let's shout out that interview with Garland Atkinson, Andy's father. I believe you can find it on a YouTube channel called Insight Network, I-N-S-I-G-H-T Network. It's an interview with Linda Fell, and it's about 50 minutes long, and it is, it's harrowing to, to listen through the experience of Andy's father, but it's, it's just worth your time if you're interested in the case. And as always, you are the most important part of stuff they don't want you to know. So do please reach out, get in touch with us, let us know your thoughts, let us know other similar cases that you think may have fallen away from the mainstream news. We try to be easy to find online. We do try to do that and hope we succeed. You can find us uh, on various social media platforms, including Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter, where we're Conspiracy Stuff. On Instagram and TikTok, we're Conspiracy Stuff Show. But wait, there's more. Yes, if you want to use your voice to talk to us on a voicemail system, you can call one 833 S-T-D-W-Y-T-K. You've got three minutes. Please give yourself a cool nickname and let us know if we can use your voice and message on the air. If you got more to say than can fit in that three minutes, why not instead send us a good old-fashioned email? We are conspiracy at iHeartRadio.com. Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house. And I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Dealing with pests can be a pain, but relax. Terminix can help. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. With over 95 years of experience, they have what it takes to take on any pest problem fast. If your home or business has pests, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com. Rev up your thrills this summer at Cedar Point on the all-new Top Thrill 2. Drive the sky on the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch vertical speedway. And now, for a limited time, get more Cedar Point fun for less with our limited-time bundle for just $49.99. Get admission, parking, and all-day drinks for one low price. But you better hurry, because this bundle won't last long. Save now at cedarpoint.com.